The book of Acts is the history and the beginning and the birth of the church of the living God. It's not the birth of the United Pentecostal Church. It's not the birth of a Pentecostal church organization. It's the birth of the church of the living God. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm glad to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church. That's where I hold my ministerial credentials in. Our church is affiliated with that, and I think there's some good things there. But, but it really doesn't matter what the name is on the sign. It matters where do you follow and who do you follow and what do you believe. And uh, the book of Acts is a perfect place to launch into that. And, and so uh, just, just kind of as, a, as an aside... Uh, if I want to learn how to baptize someone, I think we ought to go back to the original baptisms that took place and see how they did it and what did they have around, what name did they do that in. I think it's important uh, not to say, uh, well, does it matter today? If it mattered in the book of Acts, it matters today. And so the book of Acts is the history of the church and I've been doing my very best over the last uh, four and a half months. I've been doing my very best to read uh, one chapter a day out of the book of Acts. And it has just been percolating in there. These are stories I'm familiar with. But when you see it on a regular basis, it hits. Uh, Acts chapter 2, while it doesn't say it very you know, explicitly, I do believe that when they were all there in that upper room in one mind and one accord, I don't believe and I don't think there's anybody here that would, that would tell me I'm wrong and I, uh, I'm not trying to add to the Bible, but I don't think that 120 disciples of Jesus were sitting around an upper room twiddling their thumbs and eating Cheetos. Now the Bible just says when they were all there in one accord in one place there suddenly came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. I believe that there was some prayer meeting and some, some, some relationship with Jesus and some, some prayers being offered and some meditations and some Lord what are you going to do and how is it all going to come to pass. And so I would like to just tell you that before the day of Pentecost could come there had to be some prayers and relationships with Jesus that were going on. Do you believe that? If you turn over a few chapters, you go to, John, uh, to chapter 3 when Peter and John went to, uh, into the temple. Before you have a lame man walking, you've got Peter and John doing what seemed to be something they did on a fairly regular basis. They were going up to pray. They weren't going to preach. They probably, when they got up that morning, did not intend to go find some man who was lame and try to lay hands on them. They said, first and foremost is my relationship with Jesus. Everything else will fall into place. You cannot say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. If there hasn't been some days walking into the presence of God when nothing else was around and nobody saw what you were praying about and some personal devotion time went on, that has to happen before the lame man can walk. You keep going. Look at, at, at chapter, that was chapter 3. Look at chapter 4. Those of you who were here last night, uh, and thank you. We had a great crowd for our, our uh, family prayer Tuesday night. I appreciate that. Uh, you heard me talk just a little bit about this. Chapter 4, Peter and John are in front of the elders and the, the, the court system of the Jews, and they're trying to figure out why in the world and how in the world they could pray for a man and he could be healed. And they have commanded him, not commanded Peter and John, don't preach, don't teach, quit doing this. Of course, they said, we're going to do it whether you like it or not. 
But I, uh, this is where we read last night, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and they began to pray. Look at your neighbor and say they prayed. You're going to find there's some common denominators in here. Prayer. They begin to pray, and when they begin to pray, the Bible says they prayed, Lord, you see all the threats, you see all the persecution, but I pray that even in that, you would help us to be bold, you would help us to continue in your signs and wonders and miracles, and when they prayed, the Bible said the house and the place where they were gathered together was shaken. You've got to have some shaking in your life that happens because you begin to pray. That's Acts chapter 4. Uh, you keep going. Um, you, you, you begin to see a, a lot of things that take place. Um, look at Acts chapter, uh, not, or Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. That is an incredible, it's a, it, it matters to you and I. That's where the Gentiles get in on the action. That's where they get in on uh, Jesus pouring out his spirit on them. But it started with a devout man named Cornelius praying where in his house and you had a disciple by the name of Peter praying on top of a roof at a house he was staying at and because two men were praying, two men had a relationship with God, it allowed them to get connected and it allowed them to get to the place where the Holy Ghost could be poured out. It started with prayer. And of course, you keep going through that. You find in, in chapter 12, Peter and James are in prison. James, uh, the brother of John, is killed with a sword. Peter's there in prison. Uh, the church begins to pray. God opens the prison door. Peter comes to the prayer meeting, knocks on the door, and they had a little bit of problem believing the prayer that they were praying. That's, that's where Rhoda came back and said, hey, the one we're praying for is sitting out there. And they had a little bit of a problem with that. As you begin to look through the book of Acts, I find a common denominator. There was prayer. And uh, of all the things that we could emulate, I believe the one thing that matters is do we emulate the prayer? Does that matter to us? Um, Steve Gaines has a book entitled When God Comes to Church. And he inserts, or he asserts rather, that the greatest need in the church today is a renewed sense of God's presence. And in that, he, he gives this. He said he heard an old-time preacher preaching about God who sent down fire on Mount Carmel during the prophet Elijah's days. And he said this, and I've used this in times I've preached, but this is what uh, the, the old preacher said. He said that the manifest presence of God, here, here's where you know the presence of God is and where he's shown up. It's when God shows up and when God shows off. That God doesn't come just to take sides. He comes to take over. He wants to arrive in splendor and glory. And when he comes, when God shows up, it's obvious to everyone that Jesus is present and that Jesus is in charge. And the human uh, agendas must fade away in the overwhelming presence of the King of Kings. And so it is that Steve Gaines says, for years now, this has been my primary prayer for every worship service in the churches I've served. 
He goes on to state, the longer I live, the less interested I am in how many people we have in the sanctuary. It's far more important to me how much of God did we have in that service. If he comes, we'll have a wonderful service. If God shows up, you won't care if there's two people in the audience or 2,000 people in the audience. If God shows up, you haven't had a great Sunday unless God was there. The, the story of Samson and Delilah is one that, that I hope you're familiar with, especially towards the end where Delilah wants to know the secret of Samson's power and he toys with her. He says, oh, if you, you know, weave my hair, braid my hair, I'll be weak. If you, if you bind me up with green ropes or green vines, I'll, I'll be weak. If you tie me up with new rope, I'll be fine. Until finally, through that, that, that seduction and urging of Delilah, he tells her, well, I made a vow to God that if I won't cut my hair, and, and so he tells her a secret, she shaves him. You know the story. In 2007, my dad wrote an article in the Herald. And my father, I hope you get to see it, he, he's a phenomenal writer, and I love reading it. And I believe this is probably one of the best things he ever wrote, and I'm going to read it to you tonight. He took the story of Samson, and he allegorized it a little bit, and he said it this way. It came to pass afterward that the church loved a woman whose name was the world. And Satan came up into her and said unto her, Entice the church and see wherewith his great strength lies and by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him and we will give to you the victor's crown. And so the world said to the church, tell me, I pray, wherein does your great strength lie and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee? And the church said, if they bind me with financial restraints so that I cannot operate my social functions and pleasurable activities, then I shall be as weak as any other organization. So Satan brought up a time of recession and economic repression. And the world bound the church with them. And there were spirits lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto the church, Satan be upon thee, church. And she, he broke the financial restraints as a thread of two is broken when it touches the fire. And his strength was not known. And the world said to the church, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And the church said unto her, if they strip me of my departmental programs and advertising promotions and said unto him, Satan, be a, or, or, uh, uh, then I will be as weak as any other organization. And so it was that the world took away the departmental programs and the advertising promotions and said unto him, uh, Satan, be upon thee, church. And they that lie in wait, abiding in the chamber, came and he broke them from his arms like a thread. The world said to the church, you've mocked me again. You've told me lies, now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said, well, if you bind me fast by restricting my freedom of worship, if you take away my choirs and unplug my musical instruments, I'll be as weak as any other one. She therefore took away his freedom of worship that the government had granted. She took away the choirs, unplugged his musical instruments, and said unto him, Satan be upon thee, church. And he awakened out of his sleep and went away without them. And the world said to the church, 
How can you say you love me when thine heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and you've not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. It came to pass that the world vexed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed, vexed unto death. And he told her all his heart and said unto her, I have been committed to the giving of myself in prayer and fasting. If you take away my passion for prayer, my passion for fasting, then my strength will go from me and I will be like any other organization. And the world saw that he had told her all his heart. She sent and called for Satan saying, come up once for he has shown me his heart. Satan came unto her and brought the crown in his hand. And the world made the church sleep upon her knees. She called for help and drew away the church's passion for prayer, the church's passion for fasting from him. She began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And she said, Satan be upon thee, church. And he awoke out of his sleep and he said, I will go out as the other times before and shake myself. But he did not know that the Lord was departed from him. Satan took him out, took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to hell, bound him with fetters of brass. And he did dwell in the prison house. I believe that analogy speaks to you and I today that the power that you and I crave and desire in the church comes through prayer. I believe in activities. I believe in promotions. I believe in, 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 in vision. But none of it happens if there's no relationship with God. Prayer, or, or rather Philip Yancey wrote a book called Prayer Does It Make a Difference? And this is what he had to say. I have learned to see prayer not as my way of establishing God's presence, but rather my way of responding to God's presence. That is a fact of whether or not I can detect it. My feelings of God's presence or God's absence are not, uh, that, that, that is not the presence nor the absence. Whenever I fixate on techniques or sink into guilt because of my inadequate prayers or turn away in disappointment when a prayer goes unanswered, I remind myself that prayer means keeping company with God who is already present. I, I believe that as I mature in, in Christ, this is the thing that means the most when it comes to prayer. If all you ever do is pray for a need to be met, you've missed the point of prayer. If the only time you and God ever talk is when you've got a problem or when you've got a situation, you've missed the point. Prayer is a relationship. A, a, a woman who goes into a prison in South Africa, uh, in fact, they, they've done some, some documentaries on her. Her name is Joanna. And she was uh, talking to Philip Yancey. And, and she said to Philip, she said, when I go to prison, I don't bring God. God is already there. I just make him visible to those around. Prayer is this. God is already here. When you get home tomorrow or tonight and tomorrow, God is there. When you're driving in your car, God is there. But prayer offers the chance to attend and to respond to that presence. And I believe that is true today. But can I tell you that there is not a right way to pray per se. You don't have to say a certain stream of words. It's not supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's not bippity-boppity-boo. It's not abracadabra. But prayer is simply, it, 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 it's not measured by its length. 
It's not measured by its duration. Prayer is simply how you relate to Jesus Christ. I've seen, it's kind of like faith. There's a lot of people that have faith in faith. But faith in faith means nothing. Faith is simply your belief in something. And if your belief is not in Jesus Christ, I don't care how much you believe, it's never going to come to pass. Prayer is the same way. You can pray for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still not get anywhere if you don't let it become a relationship with God. That's why the Bible says it's the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man that avails much. You can hear a sermon like tonight or a Bible study on prayer. You can get inspired on a Sunday night and commit to a vigil of prayer and fasting uh, coming up. But it's amazing. Monday morning rolls around, that alarm clock goes off, and suddenly all of that zeal you had in the middle of a church service goes out. Or maybe you kneel down to pray and and, and I'll be honest, this is me sometimes. You kneel down to pray. You pray every prayer you know to pray. You pray for everyone you know. You look at the clock and it's only been five minutes. And you wonder what you're going to do. Dustin Lindsay was a student at Gateway College of Evangelism several years ago. And he wrote an article. I don't remember where I saw it. But he wrote an article called Conversations with God. And in there, he made this statement. He said, the lights in the sanctuary were dimmed. The silence dwarfed the lone individual sitting in the front pew. His head was bowed, his arms were resting on his knees, and a mere couple of minutes into his prayer, he had run out of words to say. Every cliche had been used, every term of endearment had been repeated, and he sat silent, staring blankly at the floor. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just curious if that scenario ever sounds like you and your prayer life. I will tell you that while I don't have all the answers and there's still times I struggle, this is one thing I know. An effective prayer usually breaks down because you didn't take time to pray through. Now, Usually that phrase, we, we talk about it when we're, we're, we're talking about someone that is seeking the Holy Ghost. We want them to pray through. But I, I want to take you farther than that. You pray through. You pray until something begins to happen. You pray until you touch heaven. You pray until the answer comes. You pray until the burdens lift. You pray until the skies open. You pray through the junk and the distractions that might uh, assail you. In, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to take time to pray. I'm purposely going to end this in the next few moments and then we're going to lead and, and, and join in prayer. But I guarantee you that many of us, maybe even myself tonight, you're going to kneel down to pray and you're not going to be able to focus. How many of you have been in the ocean or a swimming pool or a lake for you know a long time and you get out of it, you get off the boat and it still feels like you're rocking? That's how I feel sometimes when I get ready to pray. I still feel my mind running nonstop. My, my brain plays out every conversation I had that day. The world and its noise with television and movies and internet and games and books and advertising and work and you go to sit down and it's just this cacophony and bombardment of, of all of that and you find it hard to drown out the noise and hear God. Maybe this is too simplistic but I kind of think a proper prayer is much like peeling an onion. You got to get through the layers. 
got to take some time. Sometimes you got to get through the, the layer of me, of you. God, let, let my will diminish. You got to get through the, the things in life so that the true power of God's presence is revealed. E.B. Nichols was born in 1897 and lived till May 1984. By the age of, of, of 48, he had published and distributed uh, over a million tracts and booklets uh, all over the world. And, and, and you, you, you see him. He, he's a, one of our Pentecostal pioneers. In fact, if you go to the center uh, for the study of oneness Pentecostalism, which carries some incredible historical things, you're going to find uh, an entire trunk that's filled to the tops with tracks that had shipping labels ready to be sent out. And uh, there was uh, a diary of his, and one of his entries reads this, I rose about daylight for prayer and study. I fasted until noon, and I was broken in prayer. He didn't say I had to fast 40 days and 40 nights. He said, I fasted till noon. Some of you, you would do that just because you don't like breakfast. But what he was trying to show you is it's not, the, it's not the, the length of it. It's the depth of it. Can you pray through? I would tell you that today the reason the layers and the noise are so great usually is determined by what we've been feeding it all day long. That's why those that have a, a, a consistent prayer life, those that have a consistent devotion time with God, are find themselves easier to be in His presence than those that don't. It's because they haven't constantly fed them stuff that they've got to pull through and clean up and get through the layers when they get ready to pray. It's kind of right there. It's sort of like, you know, if you, if you have something that's hot and you keep it warm. You know, I've learned something. Some of y'all could drink me uh, into a hole when it comes to coffee. But I do like coffee, and I've learned a few tricks of the trade. I like, I've got one of my favorite mugs is a handmade uh, uh, mug that was, that was made on a potter's wheel. And I've learned something. If I will take that mug, because it sits over here next to the window, so that means in the wintertime that mug gets kind of cold. And if I pour my coffee in that cold mug, my coffee gets cold faster. So I've learned, here's a trick of the trade. I've learned that if I'll go take that mug and run it under hot water for a while, my coffee will last longer. And, and when you get ready, if you, if you don't wait and let that mug cool down before you pour your second cup of coffee in it, it works. Sometimes you got to get to the third cup of coffee. Am I right, Brother Perryman? <laughs> Sometimes it's about keeping your prayer life warm, not letting it grow so cold, so that when you come to church on a Sunday, you don't have to light any fire back up. The warmth, the coals, the embers are there from a personal devotion. And so tonight, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to learn to pray through. Now some of us, I'll say let's pray and it's going to be difficult and, and uh, you're going to need maybe more than the, the moments we have here because of the, what you fed your soul for the last little bit. But I believe that there's not a chance in life that you can exist just on your prayers on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. You've got to find a place to invest in prayer. And so tonight, I, I have felt it. Last night was so incredible. I loved hearing 
the prayers go. Not that I know what you were saying, but just that, that murmur of prayer that filled this house. And tonight, for the next little bit, it's 8 it's eight twelve, And I believe that we could take 20 minutes or more. And we could turn this place into a place where we begin to pray. I know we come with needs, and, and I, I would never deny you a chance to pray for your needs. But I'd like to challenge you to make your prayer not so much about your needs as it is, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I don't know that when you pray that, I don't, I'll be honest, I doubt God's going to speak in an audible voice to you. But you'd be amazed how many times when you just begin to pray and you begin to try to quiet your life and quiet your mind and quiet your soul, you'd be amazed at what he slips there inside. And some of the answers you've been looking for, he just slips right into your spirit because you got a chance to be with him. And so I want to invite you to stand with me for a moment. And as we stand, we're going to pray together for just a moment. And then I'm going to challenge you to find a place to pray. You can come around the front. You can kneel at your seat. You can sit right where you are. But I want you to get a place to pray. There's no right way to do it. If you don't know all the big theological words, you don't have to worry about it one bit. Because God desires to talk with you. All the way at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that they, God walked with them in the cool of the evening. Have you ever, I, I can only speak for me, but, you know, it, it's amazing the, the deeper I get into a relationship with someone. And, and obviously when it comes to a romantic relationship or that type, it's my wife. But I have friendships that are deep. It's amazing. You don't have to talk all the time when you've been friends with somebody for a while. Sometimes you're okay to just be in each other's company without spending all the time. That's how it ought to be when you come into the presence of God. Sometimes you need to just listen. And I want us just to begin to lift our hands right now. Father, I thank you for this church. I'm so thankful for the hunger that is present and prevalent each and every service. And God, I, I, des I believe that I speak for each.